0: This. If you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. As you can see behind me, we're going to be in verses 12 through 23 this morning. Our focus is on one way. Uh, We're about ready to wrap up the Sermon on the Mount uh, within our larger series of Tell Me the Story of Jesus as we're walking through all the Gospels, uh, piecing them together as chronologically as possible. And uh, we'll uh, end the Sermon on the Mount next week in our time together. Uh, When I was learning to drive, Uh, It happened in the uh, wonderful town of Macomb, Illinois. That's where I typically call home because I spent many years there, more years there than any other town. And uh, in Macomb, Illinois, for some reason, they decided that they're going to have multiple one-way streets. And uh, when I was learning to drive, I was in driver's ed, and and the driver's education teacher decided that we needed to almost memorize which streets were one-way. Uh, So we would know when we would take our test in order to get our license, that we wouldn't go down the wrong way on a one-way street, because if you did, you would fail. In our passage this morning, Jesus reveals that there is, in fact, one way. And even though the scriptures that we're looking at, they, they do reveal there are other ways to treat people, there are other ways to live, there are other things that we can listen to, there are other things we can attempt to do to please God, Jesus reveals that there is, in fact, only one way. And just as if we were driving down the wrong way on a one-way street, if we'd lived the other ways, the opposite of what Jesus is telling us, he tells us in the end we are going to fail. We're going to fail at life, and we're going to fail ultimately for eternity. And since we're looking at such a large passage of Scripture, I want us to jump right in this morning and work our way through this. So uh, beginning in Matthew 7, verse 12, the Lord says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them for this is the law and the prophets. Now I don't know when you hear this verse, but for me when I hear this verse, there's a particular movie that tends to come to mind, and that movie is Bambi. And I know some of y'all are probably protesting Disney at the moment, so you can just pray about your situation later. But uh, Bambi. In the movie Bambi, anybody may remember movie Bambi, the little okay, the little deer, whatever. Um, by the way, if you have a son, don't name him Bambi. I mean, really? I mean, Bambi was a boy. It took me a long time to figure that out uh, growing up. Oh, Bambi's a boy name? I don't, it's just asking for trouble. Anyway, so in the movie Bambi, there's a scene which Thumper is first introduced to Bambi the deer, and Bambi's having trouble walking, having trouble standing up. And so Thumper draws attention to this. You know, he can't walk very well, can he? And, and so Thumper's mother asks Thumper, what did your father teach you this morning? What did your father uh, instruct you to do this morning? And Thumper responds, if you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all, (laughs) right? Um, And I guess the reason that comes to mind, because that kind of captures the essence of what Jesus is saying here in verse 12, what many people know as the golden rule. Uh, You might find it interesting that All world religions of some sort have this rule within their religion and within their text. Most of the world religions have it in the negative. So it reads in theirs, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. And that might not seem like much. Jesus gives it to us in the positive. um, But the negative implies that we don't have to do anything. We can be content with doing nothing. But if you notice what Jesus says here in verse 12, Jesus is calling us to a positive action. And what Jesus is teaching here in verse 12 is that there is one way to live. The so whatever in the beginning of verse 12 could also be read as therefore in everything. So if you've ever heard a preacher said in my final point and then they go on for 20 or 30 minutes, you can thank Jesus for this for that, okay? Cuz this is what Jesus is doing. It seems like he's wrapping things up. Therefore, in conclusion, But then he goes on and gives us four different warnings of what we should be aware of in this life. Verse 12 is, in fact, a concluding remark of everything that Jesus has said going back to chapter 5. And in the following verses or points, he delivers warnings for us in life about one way to live and one way to be. So we could take this verse, verse 12, as, "...with everything that we are called to live." With everything that we are called to understand, with everything that we are to do, and with everything that we understand about God, it should not just be for our benefit, but it should be an overflow, an outflow upon the people that God has placed in our life. This is what Jesus is saying in verse 12. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the passage before this, where we're told in prayer that we are to ask and we are to seek and to knock with our Heavenly Father in prayer, and the lesson is there that God, who is our Father, wants to give us good things. He wants to bless us with good things, and that, that good things means advantageous, things that are beneficial for us. And so if we just had verses 7 through 11, and here in chapter 7, and we applied it to verse 12, we would understand if God, our Father, wants to bless us with good things, if He wants to give us advantageous things, if He wants to give us beneficial things, and we are to be imitators of His, we are representatives of His in this world, then we too must be a blessing of good things, beneficial things, advantageous things to others. So our wish and our desire in our life is to be an example of what God is doing for us. Matter of fact, God is actually treating us better than we deserve. As Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets, he says that in Matthew chapter 5. We are to be imitators of his now in verse 12 here in Matthew chapter 7 by living out the law and the prophets. And Jesus would use this phrase once again in his ministry when he said to fulfill the law and the prophets, we must love God and we must love people. The phrase law and the prophets is what we understand as the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi. Jesus saying, if we would treat people the way we would want them to treat us, we would be fulfilling the law and prophets or all that the Old Testament captures. If we would treat them the way we wanted them to treat us. If we were to look at the law, just the Ten Commandments, I encourage you to do that. It's Exodus chapter 20. Not right now, but later. You would see that in Exodus chapter 20, when we're given the Ten Commandments, Six of the Ten Commandments deal with our relationship with people. That's 60% of the commandments deal with our relationship with people. That's not saying that our relationship with God isn't a priority, but it's saying that if our relationship with God, which deals with the first four commandments, if our relationship with God is right and it is in right standing, then our relationship with people will reflect that. And we'll be right with people. Because if our relationship with God is right, it will outflow, overflow into the relationships that we have with people. Notice here in verse 12, Jesus does not say, do to others as they have done to you. This is telling us as God's people we are to go above and beyond. If you're a child of God in this place, Jesus is telling you and telling me you are to be different. So when people belittle us, When people backstab us, when people talk behind our backs and talk bad about us, when they inflict pain upon us, Jesus is telling us and teaching us here in verse 12 that we are to rise above and be different. This is not a reciprocal way of living. It is an asymmetrical way of living. Instead of doing things in return, as God's people, we are to live in such a way to others that don't correspond or equal the way they treat us. So what Jesus is telling us, our life as his child, as his disciple, is to be self-sacrificial, not self-promotional. We are not bringing glory to ourselves. We're not putting ourselves on the billboard. We're not proclaiming our own name. We, as God's people, proclaim Jesus Christ. And we do this by how we treat people, even those we disagree with. Even those who have theological differences. Even those who have a lifestyle that is different from our own. Because this is what Jesus Christ did. Philippians chapter 2 says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking a form of a servant being born in the likeness of man. And we could probably just stop here with verse 12 and say, Let's pray and let's all repent. Because I know there are people in my life I have not treated the way I wanted them to treat me. I shared about my traffic incident several weeks ago. But there's more that Jesus says. And what Jesus does in preceding verses is to give us a warning on why this is so vital. That we treat people the way we want them to treat us. Again, not how they treat us, the way we want them to treat us. Look we're in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy. That word easy could also be read as broad, that leads to destruction, and those who enter it by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard, that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus knows that what he tells us to do, this golden rule, this commandment of verse 12, he knows that's going to be hard. He knows it's going to go against every natural tendency that we have. Here's the reality, everyone in this room has a sinful nature. So everyone in this room thinks about themselves and their best. And we battle with that as we live for God and we call ourselves Christians. And so Jesus knows that verse 12, look, he understands this is going to be hard. This is going to go against everything that you want to do. You're going to want to put people in their place. You're going to want to talk bad about people. You're going to want to talk behind their backs. But don't because there is a wide and narrow gate And so when everyone else is seeking about their welfare, when the crowds and society are going one way, what we see here and what Jesus is telling us is there's only one way to go. I hate watching the news. No amens for that. I can't stand watching the news. That doesn't mean I don't watch the news, I just can't stand watching the news. And I mean all major news sources. Fox News, some of you all are probably cursing me in your head when I say that. Fox News is not for the church, it's not for Jesus Christ, it's not for God. Sorry, it's not the Christian platform. I hate CNN, I hate NBC News, I hate all the major platforms of news, and I know hate, my mom said, never say you hate something, but I really do. They drive me completely nuts. The most frequent news outlet I watch is the weather, and Jamie can attest to that because I will will tell her what's going to happen. But I will only believe the weather for 24 to 48 hours. Because I know that's bound to change. I mean, they're calling for 70 degrees, but that's bound to change by the time we get to Thursday. And so I only believe the weather for 24 to 48 hours. I'm not saying I don't watch news. Here's what I do when I watch the news. I'll watch one news outlet, and then I'll turn and I'll watch another news outlet. So I'll watch Fox News. And then I'll go watch CNN news. And what I found, if you have not done this, what I found is you can watch the same story on Fox News as you watch on CNN news, and you will hear the same story, but you'll hear it from two perspectives, two point of views, and they'll have two different messages coming about the exact same story. Because the news, the news used to be a format where you get to hear the news. You get to hear what's going on in the world, you know, that's the way it was, you know, that sort of thing. But now what the news is, and we've got to be very careful about this, people. The news wants to tell you the way it was. They want to present the story and then tell you what you and I should believe what actually happened or what didn't happen. And the reason I bring that up is because so many people watch the news and they make their stands with Fox News or they make their stand with CNN News or NBC or whatever, and then they believe everything that the individuals are telling them on that platform, and that's the wide gate. So you got one massive group of people believing this, another massive group of people believing this, And then they can't get together, they can't talk, they can't treat each other how they want to be treated because everyone has told them what they want to hear or what they want to believe and they've gone through the wide gate. And Jesus says that gate leads to destruction. If we were to paraphrase what Jesus is saying, he would say, why don't you take popular opinion? Why don't you take cultural acceptance? Why don't you take what the society looks at in life? And you take it all as a grain of salt. In other words, what the world believes and what the world promotes and what many follow, Jesus is saying that is misleading and it will destroy you. It will destroy you. I think these verses are even more evident in our society today as we have the cancel culture and the woke culture or society. If you're with us this morning for the first time, (laughs) I got to deliver truth. That's what God has called me to deliver. And in God's word, God says that He created male and female two gingers. And science emerged, and I believe God gifted, blessed, This world was science. I do not believe science goes against God. I actually think you can use science to show that everything in God's word is real. And when science emerged, they confirmed what God said in the very beginning of his word. There are two genders, male and female, because they recognized, oh, there's only two chromosomes. What I found this week as I was doing my research is now science is backstepped. Now, scientists said there are not just two chromosomes because that, that there are exceptions now. There are exceptions to an XY or an XX, and the only reason science has to backstep because there's no backing to it. I I did like several hours trying what are the exceptions, and I couldn't find anything. They have to backstep because society has now said okay, there's more than one genders. Gender. There's a wide gate now. There's a man can now say he feels like a female, and a female can now say he feels like a male, or that's how they relate. But science doesn't prove that. The Bible doesn't prove that. God says in the very beginning of his word, God created man in his own image. The word man there can be read as individuals. So it says God created man, individuals in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So when Jesus is talking about these wide and narrow gates, He's not just speaking to His current generation. He's speaking to us right now, our current generation. He's talking about the multitude's opinion. For Jesus in His day, in His context, would have been the Pharisees and the scribes, they would have this wide gate of legalism. And some of us have grown up in legalism. Well, if you do this, you're a Christian. But if you do that, you're not a Christian. And Jesus was heavily opposed to legalism. He loved to show love and, and, and to allow anyone to come into his presence. He wanted to say it's not about these rules and these regulations. It's about a relationship. It's about knowing me. In the apostles' day, Jesus was speaking prophetically of the acceptance of false teachers. In our day, both of those apply this legalism and false teachers. But he's also speaking to us right now of the wide gate of society. We are being told right here in God's Word, verse 13 and 14, there are only two ways of life. There is the wide and there is the narrow. And the wide is broad. And many find pleasure in going that way because Jesus says it's easy. It just goes with the flow. But the narrow road pushes back. The narrow road is living with God's Word in mind. The narrow road calls out sin for being sin. The narrow road doesn't agree with the ideology that there are multiple ways to heaven. The narrow road doesn't accept that there are more than two genders. The narrow road doesn't accept that there are more than two there are different types of marriages besides between a man and a woman. The narrow road doesn't say that pro choice is acceptable. The narrow road says you already made your choice by having sex. And pregnancy strongly happens when you have sex. The choice has already been made. The narrow road doesn't say because someone has a disability they're less loved by God or less wanted by God. The narrow road does not permit someone to break the law of the governing authorities and then be treated as a martyr because they broke the laws of the governing authorities. The narrow road does not permit genocide or the killing of innocent Well, people watch it on TV or hear it on the news. The narrow road doesn't say a marriage, if it's not going the way it should go, or we thought it should go, we can just get out of it. The narrow road says, as for life, you're one flesh before God. The narrow road does not permit a parent to walk out on their children. The narrow road is a life of conviction. And we have to be very careful when it comes to convictions. Convictions does not mean we can belittle another individual. If you don't want a conviction, a conviction is what we understand, what we believe, and what we know to be true through the word of God. And as God's people, we are to have convictions. But we are to have convictions lived out in love. And I believe that's why Jesus started with verse twelve before he started giving these warnings. We are to have convictions. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to have convictions. We are to hold each other accountable through love. But to unbelievers, we have to understand they're going through a wide road and we are still to love them and we are still to treat them how we would want them to treat us. This is why the narrow gate and the way is hard, but notice what Jesus says in his promise. It is this way that leads to life there in verse 14. And the sad statement about the narrow road, Jesus also has, and those who find it are few. And the reason there are so few is not that God doesn't want people to accept Him and to be saved and forgiven and given eternal life, the reason it's so few is because it goes against our nature. It goes against our sinful tendencies to get what we want, to make sure that we are heard to promote our agenda. As God's people, we may not agree. We may not understand why people are choosing the wide gate and the wide road and the easy way, but God's Word does not permit us to stop loving them. Stop, we can't stop loving them through the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Christ reconciles us to himself and gives us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. That word world means all people to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. I do not believe that protests, and acts of hatred will ever change an individual's heart. I do not believe it. I do not believe it will change their mind. But I do believe, because God's word tells me that the love of God will. And it's hard. It's narrow, and very few want to choose that path. We may suffer persecution, but we should turn back to Matthew chapter five verse 10. Jesus said, "Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you." And speaking of prophets, that's the next subject Jesus deals with in Matthew chapter five, or seven, beginning in verse fifteen. Fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. What we're being told here in verses 15 through 20 is there is one way to understand. In Scripture, when it comes to prophets, prophets were individuals who spoke God's word to God's people on behalf of God. In other words, prophets spoke truth. So when we come to false prophets, this would be the exact opposite. A false prophet would be someone who claims to speak God's word to God's people on behalf of God. But what they may speak, it may have sprinklings of truth, but it's filled with deception and lies. As Jesus speaks of false prophets, we can't help but hear him speaking to us in 2022. We have to understand the church has always been in danger of false prophets. Go read Paul. Letters from Paul and Peter and James and John. They wrote the majority of the New Testament outside of the Gospels, possibly Hebrews as well. And all of them had to deal with warning the church about false prophets. And this is the first century church. For Jesus' original audience who were Jewish, a prophet was an individual who was to be held in high regard. We might think of it today like a, a preacher, a pastor, a priest. Or a pope. It was someone that they could recognize. It was an individual who had a title, who had influence over others. Prophets dressed a certain way, they talked a certain way, they behaved a certain way, they were distinct and noticeable. And here Jesus begins there in verse 15. He says, Beware. That word means to watch out, be on your guard. I tell you what, when the Son of the living God tells us to beware, we better let our ears perk up. We better listen to what He's getting ready to say, what we need to be watching out for, what we need to be aware of, what we need to be on our guard. Jesus is speaking to us as a father would speak to a child or a mother would speak to a child and say, don't touch the oven, it's hot. Any parent ever told your kids to do that? Beware. Watch out. Guard yourself. The image of sheep's clothing there in verse 15 is to say that these false prophets, they're going to come, and they're going to appear harmless. They're going to appear innocent. They're going to appear gentle. We have to beware. False prophets do not announce who they are. They are well-groomed. They speak pleasantries. They smile to the camera. Some of you aren't going to like what I'm getting ready to say. They're going to tell you to live your best life now. I'm sorry, Joel Osteen, but our best life will be lived in heaven, not on this earth. And they're going to keep telling you that, to continue to better yourself. Or they're going to take Scripture and they're going to sprinkle in some psychological nonsense. They're going to write books and say things like, The greatest gift you can give your family and the world is a healthy you. I'm sorry, Joyce Meyer, but the greatest gift I can give my family and the world is the love of Christ. I am not the healthiest I've ever been. Some of you all can say, I, I am past my prime. By looking at the Word of God, it says, For While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. As it holds the promise of present life and also for the life to come. I will not be apologetic with this remark. Oprah Winfrey is not a prophet, she's not a preacher. She claims to have Baptist roots, but if you hear the words that come out of her mouth and the things she presents to the world, you will find she is an omnism. Omnism means that all religions go to God. All religions go to heaven. And she will talk about God and Jesus Christ, but if you listen to her and you watch her, because she has a massive platform. When you can watch her talk about a preacher's book, sit in a worship service and hear a sermon, say that the worship service is great, you can disqualify her. You don't need to give her your attention, and that goes with anybody else like her. If you can sit in a worship service and read a book about from a preacher or hear a sermon and listen to it, and it doesn't impact your view of God, beware. If we speak of God and we share the good news, then here's what we have to give. We have to share the theological truth of the depravity of man. That means the fallenness and sinfulness of all mankind that we're all born into, that we all live with. And if we don't share that, then we're not sharing the gospel. The gospel is the gospel because it tells how Jesus, God in the flesh, came and had to handle with our sinfulness. So again, security team, people may hear this through the podcast. (laughs) I appreciate your protection. (laughs) But there are some here, I believe it, who allow false prophets to poison your family and your marriages. Jesus says, beware, be on your guard. There are things that have creeped into our church. There are things that have creeped into your family, your marriages, your kids' life, which are not truth. And they seem harmless, and here's what we do. Here's what we do. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. It's only one week. It's only one Sunday. It's, only one. it's not that big of a deal. Do you see what Jesus says? Inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. The word ravenous means ravaging, vicious ferocious. It carries the meaning of wanting to tear something apart to destroy it. God told Cain right before he killed his brother, you know, if you do well, you, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its dire, desire is for you, but you must rule over it. God said it to us in a little bit different way in 1 Peter Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Jesus said it a little more bluntly in John 10.10. The thief who is the devil, who is Satan, who is our enemy, he has three agendas for your life, your family, your marriage, and this church. To kill, steal, and destroy. How do we know if we allow false prophets to come in? Well, Jesus gives us a rhetorical question here in verse 16. I'm sorry, verse, uh, yeah, 16. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes and figs from thistles? Grapes and figs were a common food within this culture in this day. It was something that Jesus' original audience would have known what they looked like. They would have known what sort of fruit should be developed And so when Jesus gives this rhetorical question, as he's done previously in this this section of Scripture, the emphatic answer is no. Jesus is telling us in the preceding verses is that someone can say something that sounds good, but we can tell if they're genuine. We can tell if they're real by their life and what their words reveal. So again, if we can listen to a preacher If you can listen to an individual at a conference even though it's Christian and they never talk about the need for salvation in Christ alone, beware. If they never talk about repentance but instead of talk about bettering yourself, beware. If they talk about how your emotions and feelings and outlook on life is the primary thing, beware. If they share a verse from the word of God, without dealing with the context or the actual meaning of that word. Beware. Jesus tells us to open our eyes and our ears and our hearts only to truth, not theories. Final thing Jesus says begin in verse 21. Final thing for this morning. (laughs) Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus delivers a very similar teaching lesson in Matthew chapter 25. And in both situations, we need to hear this. In both situations, there were people doing good things, but missed out. They were doing good things, what they thought to be godly things, but missed out on the most important thing. And what is that? Well, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, we're told of a time when Jesus visits Mary and Martha's house. Mary and Martha, you may know, is the sisters of Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead in the Gospel of John. So Jesus is at their house, and Martha is in the kitchen being all Martha Stewart-like, right? She's serving, getting things ready. And Mary's at the feet of Jesus. She's spending time with him. She's getting to know him more. If you're familiar with the story, you know that Martha protests. She gets upset because her sister Mary is not pulling her weight. She's not doing what Martha thinks Mary should be doing. So she cries out to Jesus, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? And this is Jesus' response. Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And what is that good portion? Well, Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. She was listening to him. She was communing with him. She was developing a relationship with him. She was getting to know him more. Notice in our passage in Matthew 7, Jesus breaks people down into two types of groups. Not ethnicity, not gender, not nationality. Two types of groups. Those who know him and those who don't. And those who didn't know Jesus, do you notice they're doing good things? We cast out demons, we prophesy, we do mighty works, all in your name, Jesus. But they missed the good portion. You see, doing good things in life can never replace the good portion of knowing Jesus. You may be here thinking that you can work your way to heaven. If I go to church enough, I'll get into heaven. If I read my Bible enough, I'll get into heaven. If I give enough money to the church, I'll get into heaven. If I, if I attend or do things in ministry, I'll get into heaven. You're missing the good portion. You can do all the good things in your life. You can be a great individual and still be told to depart from Jesus if you don't know Him. Maybe you're here today and you're doing good things, but the question is, do you know Him? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And what Jesus is pointing out in verses 21 through 23 is there are going to be a lot of people who have lived a very, very good life and have done a lot of good things, but they missed out on knowing The one way. Jesus said, I am the way. The way. The only way. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And this brings us back to verses 13 and 14. Jesus is saying, I am the narrow gate. He's saying from verses 15 through 20, I am the healthy tree. And he points out in this passage, that one day every individual is going to be held accountable to Him. Do you know Him? The statement doesn't apply when Jesus says, I never knew you in verse 23. It doesn't apply that Jesus doesn't know you, but rather it means that it is our part to know Him. The only reason Jesus can deliver the final judgment, which is what that day means in verse 23, means the day of judgment, is because He knows everyone who belongs to Him and everyone who doesn't. And the revelation or the the reading of this passage means this. You can be here this morning and you can believe that Jesus Christ's name has authority. You can be here this morning and you can believe that Jesus Christ's life had meaning. You can be here this morning and you can believe that Jesus Christ's teachings have relevance. But if you don't know Him personally as your Lord and Savior, you have missed Knowing the one way. And God doesn't want that for you. I don't want that for you. There's not a believer in this room who wants that for you. And so that's why we preach the gospel. God created you for a relationship with Him. And it is your sin that is separating you from that relationship. And as Jesus points out in our passage, you can do all sorts of good things and still not have a relationship with God because you're sin. And that's why Jesus Christ came. He came to live a perfect life that we could not. He died on a cross in place for us and rose again that we might be forgiven from our sins and be given eternal life. He paid the price in full. And now he extends an invitation for you to begin a relationship with Him and with God that you are originally created for. And so if you're here this morning you've yet to confess, you may believe, you may know, you may understand, but you've yet to confess Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. you let yet to make that be known public. I'm going to be standing here and you just come up and say, Pastor Mike, I believe I need Jesus Christ to forgive me. I believe He has, and I accept Him now as my Lord and Savior. If you can't remember that, just come up and say, Pastor Mike, I need to know how to be saved. (laughs) But maybe you're here and you've already made that commitment. But you know there are people in your life that you're treating them just like the world would treat them. And God has called you and me to be different. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and lead us in a song. I want to lead us in prayer. And if you need to respond, I'm going to be standing right here. If you just need to come and kneel before the Father and pray, I invite you to come. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving these warnings, even though they're hard to hear at times. But Lord, thank you for correcting us. Thank you for calling us to something greater than what's in this world and how the world treats one another, Lord. Thank you for giving us this incredible task and then not leaving us alone to do it, Lord. You empower us through your spirit to do it. So, Lord, let us be different. Let us be the light. Let us be the salt. Let us fulfill your word by the way we live and the way we talk. And, Lord, give us discernment when individuals try to present truth that is not truth. And let us not have any part of it. Father, we want to be pure and holy, for you are holy, and you call us to holiness. Lord, I also pray for the individuals here this morning that need to confess you publicly as their Lord and Savior. That your Spirit would prompt them to come when we all stand here in a moment to sing, and then come down the aisle and let it be known. And Father, there's someone here this morning that has already confessed you, but they have not followed you in baptism, your example. Father, I pray that they would come forward and let that be known that they need to do that. Lord, I'm praying you just have your way with us. Do what you need to do and what needs to be done. And I thank you that you know the very depths of who we are. There's nothing hidden from you, there's nothing in our life that has shocked you. And we thank you for that. Let this time be a time where your will is done and your kingdom continues to come. And praise all in the name of Jesus. Amen.